Walk worthy of your calling is our theme for this year, and uh, hopefully now after a month and a half that's starting to sink in and understand what we're talking about. We'll be talking about it all year from different uh, dimensions, but our, our key verse that we'll hopefully have memorized by the end of the year is Ephesians 4.1, where the Apostle Paul, who was a prisoner for the Lord, after explaining all the blessings that we have in Christ, then urged us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. First three chapters, here's your calling. Here's what God has done for you. Here's how he's blessed you. Four through six, walk worthy of that. And we started with the basic illustration of uh, a set of scales, balancing our walk with our calling, balancing our lifestyle with who we are. We're children of God. We have all spiritual blessings in Him. Uh, we ought to walk like that. We ought to have a lifestyle like that. So that's what we're working on uh, this entire year. Our first series, which we're going to finish today, is What's My Calling? Uh, need to understand what our calling is so we can walk worthy of that, and we've looked at it from a number of different Directions Today we're going to talk about uh, judgment, grace, and tolerance. Three words that, believe it or not, are problem words. They don't sound like problem words in some ways, but they are problem words. And the, the reason that they're problem words is because in our key verse there's a problem word. And that word is worthy. Walk worthy of the calling. If something is worthy, if a lifestyle is worthy, if our behavior, certain behaviors, attitudes, actions, all of that that makes up our lifestyle, if that can be worthy, what's that imply? That it can also be unworthy. And if it implies that it can be unworthy, that means somebody's got to decide what's worthy and what's not. That's what we talked about last week, is who's Worthy to judge worthy. Uh, somebody got to decide this. The passage that was just read for you well, it was a classic passage by the writer of Hebrews that said you ought to be, as you get mature, you, get, you, you train yourself to discern this. If you're immature, if you live on milk, then you don't know what's worthy. You can't tell the difference. But you train yourself to discern what is best. So that's what we're going to be talking about this year, if you will. Um, the, the problem with that one word, worthy, in our verse, uh, that implies somebody's got to decide what's worthy and what's not, the reason that's such a big problem is because the spirit of this age says nobody can do that. Spirit of this age says, judge not. Do not judge. And that little three words is in the Scripture, but that's not the whole Scripture. But the world loves that Scripture. They love that first little part of it, and that's become the golden rule of postmodernism uh, under which we live, and it's don't judge. No, nobody can tell me this is worthy, and that's not worthy. So we, we spent last week talking about that, and we discovered 
the problems just go on and on here. It's kind of a circular deal. The, the reason that's a problem is saying judge not, and you can't judge anybody. That directly contradicts what the Bible tells us we have to do. The Bible tells us as Christians that we must test and judge and discern and distinguish and examine. That passage was just read, Hebrews 5, said that. As you get mature, you train yourself to discern. And what do you discern? What do you examine? What do you judge? Well, the teaching. Is this teaching right or wrong? Does it confirm to, conform to the Bible? This, this action that I'm going to do or this person is doing, is that right or wrong? Attitudes even are to be judged. Philippians, the writer of Philippians says, you ought to have an attitude like Christ. Well, if that's the standard, then we've got to be able to examine our attitudes and see if we're there or not. And then the worst thing of all is after we've done all this judging and testing and discerning, we've got to apply it. We've got to do something. If our attitude's not Christ-like, if our actions aren't worthy of our walk, then we've got to change. And since we're supposed to help each other do that, we've got to talk to each other about it. Can you see what a mess this is? This just is—it's hard these days because of the spirit of this age. All right, that kind of catches us up to where we were. Now let's get down to basics today. We're going to finish this series, and I want to start by talking about what's our role. Uh, we've discussed our calling enough that hopefully you've got it figured out by now. Uh, right here. Right now, this week, what are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to walk worthy of our calling. We know what our calling is, so let's get really down to basics. What are we supposed to do about it? Well, let's review some of the things we've learned. We learned that God wants the best for us. This isn't about rule keeping and checking off a checklist. God wants the best for us. That's why he makes the rules and regulations. That's why he sets the standards. He wants the best for us, and Satan wants the worst for us. John 10.10. Jesus said, I came. Well, first he says, the thief just wants to kill and steal and destroy. The thief wants to hurt humanity. He said, but I came so that they may have eternal life, may have life, and have it more abundantly. Life here on earth, have it more abundantly, live the abundant life. Not have the problems and troubles that lots of people have. The way we do that is God sets the standards. Satan lies about the standards. Remember that? God sets the standards. He says, here's what's valuable in life. Here's what's dangerous in life. And Satan just lies about it. He changes all the price tags. But in the end, God's word is what judges. The world says, don't judge. I'm not judging. You're not judging if you point out God's word. God's word is what judges. Jesus himself said that. Our job is to discern. Is this what God said, or is this Satan's lie about it? 
That's our task is to discern what is best. Okay. Now, knowing all of that and knowing what our big calling is, let's talk about the two things we're supposed to do. First, we are God's ambassadors to the lost. Okay? Us, right here, right now, in this building, talking about it this morning, we're God's ambassadors. Let's go over to Second Corinthians and read that. Second Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 16, Paul says, From now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what's the ministry of reconciliation? Here's the message. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Paul goes on later and he says, this is a really big job. (laughs) You know, who can handle this task? But then he says, Christ helps us. But that's the job. That's our assignment. That's our role. God didn't leave anybody else to do that. He left his people to do that. His church, the body of Christ, the called out, they are to give the message of reconciliation to the lost. Now, our other role as members of the body is we build each other up. We're supposed to help each other. That's what that Hebrews 5 passage was about. We've got folks in here who drink milk. We've got folks in here who eat meat. Spiritually, that means we got immature and mature. And we got everything in between. We're supposed to help build up the immature. And you can go through the New Testament and that's what... 90% of it's about is how we help each other. That's what the epistles were for. They were written to churches. And most of them weren't doing so good at that. And so, yeah, some of them had doctrinal problems. But, but most of them had problems about not building each other up, not doing that right. That's our task. Let's turn over to First Thessalonians chapter 5. And this passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 11, I think, and there's just two or three paragraphs here till the end of the chapter, I think I could probably preach six months on this. There's so much in there because he just gives it bullet points. He doesn't describe it. He doesn't go into detail. He just bang, bang, bang lists stuff that we're supposed to do as Christians. As a church in Thessalonica... Here's what they were supposed to do. This is how you build the church up. Okay? He starts in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up. 
just as, in fact, you are doing. So Thessalonica was doing pretty good. He said, encourage each other, build each other up. Now listen, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Okay. Honor and respect and obey the elders. That's one way you build each other up. Then he says, live in peace with each other. And we urge you, warn those who are idle. You got lazy people? Well, warn them. You you can talk to them about that. Build them up. Encourage the timid. You got timid people afraid to try anything, afraid to do anything? Encourage them. Build them up. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Always try to be kind to each other and everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Let me stop on that one just a little bit. That means don't listen to a passage from the Word of God and ignore it. Say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to listen to it. That's the spirit of this age. Is if you don't like it, you don't want to listen to it, you don't have to. Paul says, how do you build each other up? Here's one way. When there's a prophecy, when there's a text, when there's a scripture of God, the Word of God, don't treat it with contempt. Listen to 21. Test everything. How does that fit with the world's view that you can't judge anything? It doesn't. It blows it clear out of the water. It's impossible. They don't work together. This is what we're supposed to do as Christians. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. That's quite a list. That's our task, our role. Build each other up. We're pretty good at some of those things. We're not so good at others. We ought to get better. That's what this year is about. Helping each other walk worthy of our calling. Now, those two tasks, being ambassadors to the lost and building each other up in Christ, have always been big jobs. I'm not saying those are easy. I'm saying they've always been big jobs. Sometimes they're harder than others. In certain cultures, they're harder than others. And we realize that when we send missionaries over. We send missionaries and we ask them, what's the culture like? How do they respond to the gospel and all that? And some are a lot harder than others. Okay? We know that. But what we don't stop to think sometimes is the culture that we now live in. This postmodern do not judge kind of mentality is these two roles are harder and harder. Okay? It's tougher to do. Okay? That's because the spirit of this age has put up roadblocks that we didn't used to have. When you taught the gospel to someone, or when you talk to a brother or sister about how to do better as a Christian, these roadblocks weren't there. The, and we'll, I've got three roadblocks we'll look at in just a little while. 
the, the world that we used to deal with used to have basic religious foundations. Okay? I don't think we realize how fast it's changed. Okay? When I was in elementary school, once a week, they took our class, and it, when it was our day and our time, and they marched us out of the building and down the street two blocks to a little church in the neighborhood. And they sent us in there, and they had the teachers at that little church teach us basic Bible stuff. Anybody under 30 want to think how that would work today? Isn't that preposterous? To think that we might do that to public school children? That's the way it used to work. Everybody had that common, basic understanding of some things. When you turned on TV when I was a kid, Andy Griffith taught Opie some pretty basic life lessons. And we sat there and learned right along with him. Okay? That's the way the world was. We all had that common basic foundation. And people could, they learned to think. They had some reason about the most of them. The logic kind of functioned a little bit. So you could discuss things. You can't do that anymore. You look in the paper, watch politics, look at anything. There's no logic involved. There's nothing to it. Newspapers used to publish a president's whole speech. So people could take it and read it and understand line by line what he was saying. Now it's a sound bite. A three-second sound bite that's either interesting or funny or crazy or something. But what he says doesn't matter. That's how much this world has changed. So back in those days, with that kind of foundation, when you laid a Bible on a table with somebody and said, would you like to talk about the Bible? Yes. At least within 10 minutes, you could have a standard to work from. You know, maybe they didn't know much about it, but if you talked about it for just a little while, pretty soon you could both agree, yeah, this is God's Word. This is the standard by which we're going to have to settle things. Can you? It's not on the table today. Because there are no standards. We don't don't have that basic thing we used to. And when you discussed with a brother or sister about building up the body, about walking worthy, they got it. You know, I'm not saying all of them loved it, but I'm saying they understood that. Oh, yeah. As a Christian, I'm responsible for walking worthy. i got to behave in a way that pleases God. And if you can point that out to me and help me and all that, I appreciate that. I'll try to make the changes. And I'm not saying everybody was that congenial, but they at least understood the importance of it. And when the elders came to talk to them or another brother shared with them, that was important. Not so now, because we've got roadblocks in place that stop all that from happening. I picked out three I want to share with you. One we saw last week, 
Do not judge. That's a big roadblock. That, that gets thrown up as soon as you mention anything that might be <laughs> worthy or unworthy. And it's pretty effective. It stops us. We know Jesus' teaching about judgmentalism. We don't want to be Pharisees. So if we start to tell somebody that's lost about, well, here's what Jesus means in my life. Are you telling me there's something wrong with mine? You can't judge my life. Well, we get stuck there. Okay? We kind of back off. Now, we learned better than that last week. We learned that we have to judge things. We've got to recognize the standards that God sets. His word judges. We've got to sort it out from Satan's lies. We know all of that, and we've got to do that so people can have eternal life and can have the best life here on earth. But that roadblock's there. We've got to figure out how to get around that roadblock. Another one that I see a lot, a roadblock, is grace. Grace, grace, grace. You're a Christian. I thought your God was a God of grace. You better show grace to everybody. That's out there. That's a roadblock. Now, I said I see this a lot. Where do I see this stuff? I mean, just talk about that a second. I'm not a big social media guy. That may be somewhat of an understatement. But I'm not all over the social media and don't know how much of it works at all or anything else. But you can't avoid it. If you're studying anything, if you're on the Internet about any kind of topic that might be interesting, you're going to get led eventually to some blogs and different places and then especially the following comments on those blogs and other places and people's Facebook pages who've made a comment about it. and You just see all this stuff. And when I read through that about how people respond to anything that gets close to being judging or saying this is wrong or this is worthy or this is not or anything that even gets close to that, when I read how the reactions come in from people, it makes my head hurt. You know, it, it is just so devoid of logic, you know, not to mention grammar, but <laughs> any kind of logic, any kind of basic standard that most people used to have. It's got a dumbed-down worldview. That's just scary. You know, they, nobody can discuss anything. It, it quickly turns into name-calling about half the time. But like, it sounds kind of like a second or third grade argument on the playground. You know? But what comes up a lot of it, especially when non-Christians are answering Christian comments or something like that, is this one. Well, I thought your God was a God of grace. 
if he's got a grace, why don't you show grace to everybody? Now, time out. Let me just stop and ask whoever's making that comment. May I seek your definition of grace? Okay, and that's where the trick comes. Because to them, grace means you've got to overlook sin, you've got to ignore sin, you can't say anything about sin, you can't call anything sin, you can't mention sin, you don't want to make anybody uncomfortable by talking about sin. That's what grace means in today's world. That's a roadblock. If I want to say something to you that would make your life better, that would help you in some way, and you don't want to hear it, well, then you're not very showing God's grace. Okay. Now, second time out, we need to get this down in case you ever run into this roadblock. I can speak with grace. I can treat you gracefully. I can show you a heart of grace. But God's grace is God's grace. It's God's grace. It is His unmerited favor because of His perfect love for you. God's grace is His and it's His alone to administer. I am not authorized to forgive sin. So don't tell me to show you God's grace. I can't. Now, you can use grace in a little different word. I can be graceful. I can be tactful. I can be kind. I can be gentle. And I should be. But when you, if you bring up a sin in this world, and for somebody to mention it is not showing God's grace, we've lost the definition completely. If the word says it's a sin then according to the Bible, it's my duty to point that out with love and gentleness and grace, if you want to call it that. See, once again, the definitions have been changed. The price tag's been changed. The Bible says, here's what grace is. Satan has changed that to mean you can't mention sin. Okay, third one. The overwhelming one these days, I think, is tolerance. Tolerance is the supreme virtue. And if you mention anything that might be wrong, then you're a hater. Stop the hating. That's when my head really starts to explode when I read that so much. That's a favorite little term. You're trying to say something about... What the Bible says, or even what common sense says is right or wrong or whatever. You're a hater. You mention a standard, any kind of standard, and that means you hate all these people. That's the roadblock. And you run into that, well, how do you have a discussion about that? Well, you can't. See, that's because Satan's changed the definition of tolerance. We've always been tolerant people. Now, the old tolerance meant that everybody had a right to an opinion, and we lived peaceably with each other. 
in spite of some differences. But we could speak about it. We could express our opinion. We could discuss our opinions. You could try to persuade people that their opinion was wrong. And we lived with them. We were tolerant. But there was a limit. You know, when it started to be destructive, then we could stop it. Example. When I was growing up, I knew there were people that were prejudiced against the Jews. Yeah, people had just been taught that. They didn't like Jews. Okay? All sorts of myths and legends about them and all that. And people didn't like Jews. And everybody knew that existed. And we lived peaceably together. Unless that person got to wanting to teach my children. To hate Jews. Well, no, you can't do that. Or when Hitler decided he was going to kill Jews. The world said, no, no, no. The society said, no, we can't have that. We're not going to put up with that. I've read studies that today's college students, when asked the direct question, is what Hitler did wrong or evil, they can't say. Because they've been taught this tolerance stuff. They they can't make that moral decision. This new tolerance is just, I mean, it's a huge roadblock. The old tolerance, we we put up with a lot of things, and in many ways it it was a lot better for a lot of folks. We'll go off into that yet. The, the new tolerance, however, has changed it to mean that everybody's opinion, everybody's belief, everybody's behavior, it's all okay. That's what tolerance is. It's not saying anything's wrong. To, to be really tolerant today, you got to not only just put up with it and understand their opinion to some degree, but you've got to say it's equally fine as yours. It's all equal. It's all true. There's, there's no real truth. Everything's relative. For that culture, for his lifestyle, that's good. That's what the new tolerance means. Unless, of course, you mention anything might be wrong, then we can't tolerate that. But the new, that's how different the new tolerance is from the old. That's a huge roadblock. Okay. Now, the more I think about this, as I prepared this lesson, the more I thought about it, the more distraught I got. You know, if these three roadblocks are out there, how do you ever be an ambassador to the lost? How do you ever, if this new world thinking has slipped into the church, and it has... Because sometimes I stumble on those Facebooks, and I've seen some of you love these roadblocks. If that's the shape we're in, how do we build each other up? How do we say, here's a way that we all could walk more worthy? You trying to tell me I'm wrong on this? You can't be judging me. And if you mention that, somebody might come in from the world and we've got to show them grace. 
We've got to be graceful to them so we, we can't mention anything wrong. You've got to be tolerant. Don't be hateful. That's in the church. We're in a heap of trouble, folks. Anyhow, the more I thought about it, the more distraught I got. And then it occurred to me, maybe it's time for a little change of tactics. And it occurred to me, Jesus claimed to be the way. Jesus said, I am the way. And he said, I've come that they might have life, ambassadors to the lost, and they might have a more abundant life, be built up in Christ. Okay? Pretty close to what we're supposed to do, right? That's what he came for. If he's the way, he may have the answer. So let's consider two other verses. Here's two things Jesus said. In uh, Ephesians 5, Jesus didn't say this. Paul said it, but it was Jesus' principles. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, the whole verse says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us. Okay? So if he was the way, and we're supposed to imitate him, and live a life like him, and love like him, maybe we got an answer. Matthew twenty two thirty nine, Jesus himself said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you live this life. Now, if those are true, let's see what happens. If we follow Jesus around, if we just read what he did, how he did it, we're going to run into some interesting situations. We don't have time to go into any detail whatsoever, but you all know these stories. You know the story of when he went to the well and ran into the Samaritan woman. You know how that conversation went and what happened. You know about the time that he was walking down the street and the little fellow was up in the tree named Zacchaeus and Jesus stopped and dealt with him. You know the story of when the religious leaders brought the adulterous woman to Jesus and threw her at his feet. And wanted to know if he condemned her. Okay? Famous stories. We know all of them. Okay? And those involve sinners. Those involve reaching out to the lost. Those involve building people up that need built up. Okay? If we follow Jesus around, I mean, just on these three stories real quickly, I think we'll run into these truths. And maybe this will help us. So let's look at a few truths here. Uh, love won't ignore the truth. Okay? Today, that's what the world tells us we got to do. you got to ignore the truth if you love somebody. Because a person is equal to what he does. Yeah? If he's, that's how we describe it now today. People don't do homosexual acts. They are homosexual. Okay? That's who they are. Okay? Easiest example, but there's a million others out there. Okay? And if you disapprove, disapprove of what they do, of their actions, of their behavior, then you're an intolerant hater. And you hate them. Okay? Not the way Jesus dealt with people. Absolutely not the way Jesus dealt with people. That's not how Jesus loved. He told people they were in error. 
Okay, the Pharisees. He said, you're in error because you don't know the Scriptures. Okay, and then, then he talked to them about it. Okay, uh, the adulterous woman. They brought her to him, caught in sin. And what did he say about her sin? Did he shrug his shoulders and laugh? Who am I to judge? No. He told the people there about condemning her because he knew the whole situation. But when she left, what did he say? He said, you don't sin anymore. You stop what you've been doing. Why did he tell her that? Because he hated her? No, because he wanted her to have life. And to have it more abundantly. So he told her that. Get that sin out of your life. When he met at the well with the woman, he could have ignored her lifestyle. In fact, he could have validated her lifestyle. He said, I don't know her situation. Who am I to say that she shouldn't be living like that? But no, he said to her, you've had five husbands and you're living with a guy you're not married to. He didn't say it mean. He didn't say it harshly. But he pointed out, here's something in your life that's making you have less than an abundant life. This could be better. He didn't ignore the truth. Why didn't he ignore the truth with these people? Because these people are people made in the image of God. They are people that Jesus Christ died for. They deserve to hear how to have life and how to have it more abundantly. So he didn't ignore the truth. Second, love doesn't focus on condemnation. Okay? Everybody in here knows John 3.16. God so loved the world... That he, that he gave his only begotten son. So, so nobody would perish. You know what 317 says? It says Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came to save it. And if you read on a couple of verses, it says if they don't believe in Jesus, if they don't listen to his word, if they don't learn about this, they're already condemned. He didn't come to condemn them. He didn't come to beat up on them. He didn't come to abuse them. He came to save them. So if we know somebody, if we're dealing with somebody, we got somebody in the family that sin is keeping them from eternal life or from the abundant life, condemning them isn't what we're supposed to do. We can't ignore the truth. The adulterous woman, they brought her before Jesus. He said, who wants to throw the first stone? Then he looked at her and he said, neither do I condemn you. Do you notice? He still called sin, sin. But he was able to separate the woman and her behavior, the woman and her sin. There's a difference between that and sin. He didn't beat up on her. He didn't condemn her. 
felt sorry for her. He could have. Zacchaeus. He could have condemned Zacchaeus. He was a rotten little fellow. I mean, you read about tax collectors and what they did and how. Man, he was obnoxious. And Jesus knew that, and everybody in the crowd knew that. So when Jesus approached and saw him up there, he could have stopped and given him a lecture right then. Or even worse, that's what we do sometimes, he could have walked on past and then said, all right, listen to me, that guy back there, the sin in his life, that's horrible the way he lives. Not the way Jesus dealt with him at all. Jesus stopped and said, hey, Zacchaeus, we need to have lunch. Come down, let's go home and talk about your life. Now, do you think they talked about sin at lunch? Well, Zacchaeus came out of lunch and he said, man, I've been messed up. He said, I have got to stop the way I've been living. I think maybe it came up. He didn't leave sin out. He didn't ignore it. But he didn't condemn Zacchaeus either. Yeah. See how different this is from the world's standards and the roadblocks that mess us up? If we understand this, maybe we can get around some of those roadblocks. Yeah. There are people that do condemn. And they make no progress. How many homosexuals do you think the Phelps clan has converted in their life of hate. I don't think anybody. In fact, they've probably converted more Christians to <laughs> being pro-gay. An obnoxious bunch of con- condemning haters. God's already sent Fred on to his reward. If you want to call it that. I don't want any part of that kind of reward, but he's gone on. That's good. Hopefully the rest will follow soon. That's not the way you do it. That's not about how you reach the lost or build up people or anything. John 3.16, love gives. God so loved the world that he gave. That's different than just standing and condemning. That's different than ignoring the truth. You've got to give something. If you want to know what to give, you share something, and you share something really big. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians. I'll read you this verse, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. Paul says, we were gentle among you. He came to Thessalonica, a bunch of sinners. He needed to reach out to them because they were lost. He said, we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much. That we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Love shares. That's the change in tactics we're going to have to understand here because of these roadblocks. We're going to have to love somebody and invest our life in them before they're going to pay attention and see through all these roadblocks. Love wants the best for others. I already told you one thing Jesus said, Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39. They asked him, well, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God. 
He went on in some detail. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, spirit, all that. Then he said, and the second one's like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second biggest thing in our life is loving our neighbor as ourselves. What's that mean? That means you want the best for them. For myself. What do I want for myself? I want the best. Anything that affects my health or my happiness or my spiritual growth or my eternal condition, I want to do the best I can. And I'd appreciate it if you'd help me. Because I want the best for myself. If I love my neighbor as myself, anything that affects his health or happiness or spiritual growth or eternal life or abundant life here, then I want the best for him. Just following the second greatest commandment. Okay? Now, after going through all of that and how Jesus operated and all that, my conclusion, it wasn't how I started this sermon, but my conclusion now is we need a change of tactics. Okay? Uh, First thing I think that you ought to know is in all of this, reaching out to the lost and building each other up, I think personal is going to be more important than pulpit. Okay? Pulpit, under the old way, when people understood and had a basic and all that, they'd listen. They'd say, oh, that's God's Word. Okay? Today the roadblocks come up. I don't care who's up there. I don't care how nice his suit is. I don't care anything about it. I know these roadblocks. And I'll throw them up. So I think it's going to be, have to be more personal. I think there's still a place for the pulpit. <laughs> You'd expect me to say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Don't get too carried away here. Yeah. I think there is a place for the public proclamation of the Word of God. You know, It is God's Word. And we need to hear it. We need to understand it. We need to build each other up and all of that. But I'm talking about dealing with people. In either way that we're dealing with them, in this all-about-me society, if I hear something and I don't want to hear it, then I don't listen. I'll go somewhere else. I'll listen to some podcast instead of that. I'll do something else so I don't have to hear it. I think it's going to have to be more personal than pulpit. And secondly, you've got to hear me close on this one. Now listen, I think we're going to have to change our approach to the truth. Make somebody nervous right then. I think we're going to have to change our approach to the truth in this way. When everybody had the same understanding and the basic understanding and believed the Bible was God's Word and was willing to listen to it and all that, we could thunder the truth from the pulpit and reach people. It made a difference to them. They would listen, they would change, they would do things. People would accept it. Instead of being so aggressive about truth, here's my suggestion. I think we should aggressively live in love and humbly stand for the truth. I'm not saying change the truth. I'm not saying be weak on truth. I'm saying as we deal with people, I think this is the order it's going to have to be in. There's the roadblocks that we've looked at and the other roadblocks in the 21st century. 
prohibit the truth from getting in. So the love's got to come first. They've got to know you love them. And maybe this always worked better. I don't know. But I think these days it's really got to work better. If they know you love them, if they understand that you really are thinking you are a valuable human being, Jesus Christ died for you, you're made in the image of God, and I want the best for you. Then they will listen, I think, when you say, because I love you. Let let me humbly tell you what the Bible says. Or the truth that I've learned from following the Bible. Or how truth has worked in my life when I changed from Satan's lies to what God's standards say. And if there's anything that threatens your happiness or your health or your spiritual well-being, I want you to know this truth. I think there's a different approach there. I think it'll work better. We've got to stand for the truth. That's our job. That's our assignment. But I think there's a change of tactics needed. All right, I hope this series has helped you understand your calling. We've talked about it from a lot of different directions and then went on to talk about a couple of impediments maybe to hearing about what's worthy that we're going to need as we go on this year. Uh, Next week, uh, we'll start a new series. Brother Toby will be bringing that to you, and we're going to talk about worthy walking in the body how the body walks worthily. So look forward to that. Lesson is yours if you're here this morning and need to make some change in your life. We'd love to help you. If you don't know God's truth, we'd be happy to study with you. If you've been studying it and know who Jesus is and are ready to obey Him, we'd be happy to help you put Him on in baptism. If you need prayers of this family or something in your life, the elders will be glad to pray for you. And we're here to help. If you have some need, come forward. Let's stand and sing.